You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Handicast, the podcast within Disability After Dark, where we tell you all about our sex toy, and I am so excited, my name is Andrew Gerza, and I am the co-host of the Handicast, along with my sister Heather Morrison, who you'll hear when we pop into our interview in a second, but I want to tell you that I am so excited for some updates about our sex toy, the first line of sex toys for and by people with disabilities. We have officially started our started our prototyping for the toy and we have our toy in motion. You may have seen some of the things on our social media about our toy coming out and I'm so excited to tease what our new toy is called. The new toy for and by people with disabilities is called the Handy Joystick. And I love this name because it pays homage to disability, to wheelchair users, to people with hand limitations. Um, Anybody who uses a power wheelchair knows full well what a joystick is, and we're so excited about this toy. So you can find out more about the the Handy Joystick on our website at www.that'shandy.co. And we're really excited about it, so stay tuned for more. On this episode of the Handicast, we sit down with an occupational therapist, Anita Brown Major, who tells us about her work helping people with disabilities discuss and talk about sexuality and engage in sexuality as disabled people um, and find ways to make sex and disability more pleasurable for them using her occupational therapy skills. And I thought this was such a cool conversation because we so rarely hear from occupational therapists talking about sexuality and Heather and I really loved this conversation with Anita it was really important and really valuable because it shows how much work we still have to do to ensure that occupational therapy students and occupational therapy occupational therapists have the framework to discuss sex and disability so Anita tells us a lot of amazing things and says some really important stuff around sexuality and disability she has a lot to say and it's extremely necessary so this episode of the Handicast is really, really important, and we are so excited to invite you to listen to our conversation with Anita Brown Major right here on the Handicast, a part of Disability After Dark. Hey everybody, this is Andrew Gerza and Heather Morrison of another episode of the Handicast, the Disability Within the Disability After Dark podcast, where we talk about our sex toy and all the cool things we're doing over at Handy. So, hello, and 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 Anita, how are you? I'm really good, thanks, Andrew. It's really lovely to to um, meet up with you guys again. So nice to so nice to have you here today. The last time we met, we were doing we were talking to an Australian radio station about the awesomeness of our product, and we couldn't actually say much to each other so I, how are you over zoom so it's nice to sit down with you and have a longer chat no well, that was very frustrating it was a great radio um talk but i think yeah i was definitely going i want to ask andrew more questions and you wanted to ask me questions but they keep telling us to <laughs> to be professionals not. yeah professionals yes exactly <laughs> um can you tell us a little bit about your you know you're an ot can you yeah. tell us a little bit about your work as an occupational therapist and specifically 
your kind of interest in working in and around sexuality with your work and how that all came to be? Yeah, certainly. Um, look, I've, I've been in OT, I think I graduated in 1998, um, so quite a few years now. Um, and I've always really been interested in sexuality um, as, as an occupation of daily living. Um, I did an honours thesis many years ago um, when I was studying about the experiences of older women and sexuality in rehab. Um, so that was really interesting, basically interviewing women in their 80s about their experience of sexuality and disability um, as an older woman. Um, and, you know, they would all be in their well and truly into their hundreds now if they were still living. But, yes, yeah, so I've always had an interest in sexuality. Um, it was, I think, uh, it sort of comes and goes within the OT field, but pretty much there's not much training around sexuality at all for any healthcare professionals. Um, okay. I got particularly probably more back involved is that the Australian um, Stroke Foundation did a big project about six or seven years ago, um, trying to put sexuality on the map for um, post-stroke. So I got involved in that and then connected with a couple of other OTs of like-minded souls. And so we sort of um, joined a OT special interest group in Australia, which is now certainly welcome to you know international OTs and other healthcare professionals. Um, so it's been great having a, a connection of other OTs that we can talk to about. But um, we're then probably about five or five years ago um, started a, a business, a private business called Thrive Rehab, which I've joined up with a sexual health nurse, um, and we do lots of training. So my work is sort of probably split between half training healthcare professionals about how to talk about sex and intimacy and how important it is, and that it's a human right. Um, and then the other half of my job is actually just working with individuals um, and exploring how do we make life better and, and how do we explore around sexuality and intimacy. So it's um, most of my, most of, and I think we've talked about this before, Andrew, is that most of my tricks and um, uh, yeah, skills of the trade has actually come by working with people and individuals with different bodies. Um, yeah. And abilities, and they've taught me. Oh, this is works, and that doesn't work. And um, so I've been a, um, yeah, I've been really privileged, I think, to walk alongside people and learn um, about how they negotiate all this sort of stuff. And then, so most of my work, when I work with people, and um, you know, provide suggestions, it's a lot of the suggestions have come from other people who have had disabilities um, and connecting people up. So I sort of see my role as um, you know, disseminating information and, and basically telling healthcare professionals it's okay, we can, you know, this is not something that is, like, I don't know anything about playing golf, but if someone really wants to get back to golf, <laughs> then I'm going to go find someone who can know how to play golf. Like, it's not something that we can't do. So it's, um, yeah, I've had some really interesting health um, care professionals just going oh I don't know whether this is appropriate or not I still have a very clear memory of a, a psychologist who was like I get that we're meant to but I'm just uncomfortable about talking about it and um their their next door neighbor psychologist who was there just says oh do you do you ask people about suicide and it was this aha moment for this psychologist goes oh yeah no I do and went oh actually I'm asking someone about suicide. Like that's a pretty full on. Yeah, patient. that's really heavy. That's really, um, really heavy. And we know as healthcare workers that the evidence is around that it's much safer to ask people about suicide. So it is, um, 
just getting across that actually as healthcare professionals, we talk about really hard stuff and um, it's actually the sexuality stuff is not hard. It's just actually breaking other barriers. Yeah. It's just breaking down that taboo. Um, yeah. yeah, I think uh, that's we, really interesting. Oh, sorry, Andrew. I was just going to say, no, like, no, go that, ahead. that's super interesting because we, like you've been on this journey with us for a little while now, um, including um, being on many of the calls that we did and sort of the one-on-one interviews that we did when we were testing the concepts for the design and talking to different people around the world that had different disabilities. And one of the things that we heard like so often from people um, was that they didn't even realize that they could talk to an OT or even just general therapists about sexuality or, or about their sexual needs. And I think that was a little bit shocking for me. I, I didn't realize that people didn't realize that that was an outlet. Um, but I guess I wonder like, and, and it also sounds like conversely, there's this sort of tension from people who might have the background and training as an OT or as a psychologist or, or a therapist who are also a little bit reluctant to get into that conversation. Why do you think that there's this sort of um, push-pull and, and reluctance from both sides to open up that dialogue? If you actually, from a, like, it's really interesting, like, I'm not a researcher, but I've done lots of reading of journal articles. There's a heap of research articles which both talk about what are the barriers that prevent the health professional from asking the question and what are the barriers that prevent people with different um, abilities asking questions. Um, so it's really well documented that people talk about from a healthcare professional, lack of training, you know, is this going to be appropriate? Am I going to, you know, make them uncomfortable? Um, am I going to, that real concept of opening a can of worms that I can't, you know, address, what am I going to do? Um, and conversely, you know, I've talked with lots of people and, and have done some qualitative research about um, lots of people with disabilities also go, look, I don't want to go there because who do I go to? Who do I talk to? Am I going to be seen as this like sexual deviant or am I going to, you know, are they, are they, is that going to label me? Which I think it sometimes it does label people. Um, yeah. um, and they've got that sort of reputational privacy of um, as such. So, so we've got lots of research out there, which talks about the barriers for both, um, you know, people with disabilities and for um, people, healthcare professionals and pretty much people, healthcare professionals don't, are not asking and people with disabilities are not asking. So we've got this, this area where no one's asking anything because everyone thinks it's possibly inappropriate and therefore everyone's in the dark. So, that, you know, like I think your podcast um, really shines a light on, on, um, this area and it's actually quite interesting i had an ot meeting with the ot special interest group last night and we were going around we had 21 people on the call and um talking about how did you get interested in this area and so one of the ot students actually said oh it was the your podcast andrew that really shone the oh, light oh wow yeah, that's so great. yeah and she just said oh, i listened to this great podcast and that really made me think um and then i got involved in this other you know study and so i think it is just exposure, really, um, and shining the light on something that um, has notoriously been not, sh- sh- you know, certainly um, in the shadow. And particularly, I think in big organisations, it's the the things that really stop people and even support workers is policy. So the concept yeah. of because there's a lack of policy for organisations, um, there's a real lack of clarity of am I going to get into trouble if I ask this yeah. question. So a lot of my work as an OT is even just going into, like went into a, um, a group home a um, year before last probably where a lady had been admitted to, with, disability, with an intellectual disability, admitted to hospital 
um, multiple times because she was using a knitted needle up her vagina. Um, oh, of, all no. things, of all the household items you could choose, that oh, wouldn't be the one. Not so right. oh. and I really, you know, no one wanted to go there in the the, um, the house, and so I got involved. And basically, we were looking at three different things. Is it, um, you know, was there, you know, was was there some sort of thrush or itchiness? Like, is that something that you're worried about? It was it for masturbation and self pleasure. Um, or was there something which was a bit more sexual assault? So I think the the concept of sexual assault and what will I uncover if I ask the question, um, which is why we should be asking the question, really. It, yeah. it really annoys me that actually we need to have extra training for people with, um, you know, particularly with intellectual disabilities and who can't speak for themselves. We need extra safety nets. Yeah. But really for her, it worked out that she was actually, it was for pleasure. It was for masturbation. But no one in the house had even thought about buying her a vibrator off, you know, her hands were working fine. So we can get an off the shelf vibrator, but because there was no policies about what's appropriate um, and easy English policies, um, then it falls back to people's values. And yep. a lot of people in the yep. um, support area have come from lots of different cultures and countries. Mm -hmm. So the values are all different, but because if there's, yeah, so I, I, You'll, you'll find me i really rack on a lot about how how do we get policies how do we get organizations to go actually it's okay um to use sex toys it's okay to use sex workers here's the procedures here's the policies so yep. you know we bought this yep. lady a couple of vibrators we sorted out so a cleaning regime that she could do herself um she was happy as larry you know, really, really, <laughs> but it's not, um, you know, but they still wouldn't probably buy her one in the future. So it's this. Oh, so you would do it now so that she didn't put a knitting needle up there yeah. to save her, but they wouldn't be like, Oh, I'll just do it later. We'll do it again in a few months. Like that's Yeah. yeah. So it's really, yeah. it's really interesting. It, you know, I do. Um, yeah. Like I think it was been really interesting doing the, the interviews with you, Heather, about with, with you know, your amazing, following that is the the handy following and, and the amazing people that we we talk to um but i you know i was surprised that you know i think most of the people like we talked to that clubs us this is the first time they'd ever talked about sex um and i'm like whoa we're so can do this better it's you know this is something that's you know and most of the time actually it's not even about sex it's about the like most of my clients it ends up being about intimacy it's about finding yeah Exactly. Hands and it's I mean, it's not it's not not about a good fuck, but yeah. it's about you know having that moment with somebody or having or having even being allowed to have that moment with yourself. Like it's about all of that. And you know, and it's giving permission. I think a lot of the time. So look, I really I, I love my job. I think that um, I I also work at a major Melbourne um, hospital. Um, so you know, I'm certainly not known as um, you know, I, I see clients all the time post often strokes. So there, it's a new injury. Um, and I ask everyone, like, you know, I ask everyone about sex, but I think it's quite interesting. I never, I don't have people freaking out about it. Like clients don't freak out about this stuff. It's just, they more are really chuffed that I see them as a human. And even if yeah, they're, they're not relieved, active, it's sort of like, Oh, and you can see a bit of a raw smile on the face and then it, they might come back to you and go, actually, yeah, no, this, you know, it is a problem. You know, I'm, I'm really worried about it or I'm not, but yeah. So it's, um, it's trying to, and I think we're, we're making changes. It's, it is, it is happening certainly in Australia, but it is a, um, you know, 
I have really exciting days and other days I'm like, oh, my God, this is simple shit, people. Come on. Um, but, you know, slowly where, you know, I'm trying to do myself out of a job. That's when we do the training. That's what we talk about is that I don't want to be here doing this training again in 15 years' time. Like this is something you should be doing to new grads, not to, you know, current therapists um, as such. But, yeah, so it's interesting. Sorry, I yeah. talk a lot. I no, that's good. And, and so I just wanted to ask Andrew, like, what's based on what Anita's saying in terms of this kind of like, there's like two forces at work, right? There's the systemic force um, that, you know, kind of excludes or discludes the sexuality from policy and from different systems. Um, and that starts probably from, you know, the time you start school um, or before all the way through to, you know, when you actually see a clinician in your older years. And then there's also this like societal and cultural um, opposition to that as well, where it's still very taboo, and even from like a familial and friendship circle, people and even partners, like even whether you're, you're disabled or or not disabled, like you know how not every partnership is able to talk to the other partner about what they like sexually. Yes, yeah. for everybody, it's still a little bit tricky uh, um, to navigate. And I just I wonder, Andrew, like what how you what you're seeing from your lived experience in terms of those two forces. What have you experienced growing up um, through the different like school systems, but also the healthcare systems? And then are you starting to see some of those things change either systemically or culturally? I mean, the story I'm, I can share, and I've shared this with you off the air. I think I've shared this once before. When I was 20 and living in, on my, in my first apartment ever by myself, I left, I left the uni residence and I was living downtown somewhere and I was super excited because I was by myself. And this is like six hours away from, from home and I was super excited and so I had finally my mom had been urging me to go see an OT because you know when I was younger OTs and PTs I hated them sorry Anita your job is great but (laughs) but as a disabled person I can say that I hated you because you you, because you made me do work that I didn't want to do so so finally when I was 20 I said okay I'm an adult and I'm gonna I want to take care of this and I want to learn some other ADLs and I want to do all that and so I was seeing this really nice young OT she was about 20 21 22 and I was about like 21 22 maybe a bit older and after about three or four sessions of us just doing how do you take off your shirt or whatever how do you open a door or something I finally said you know I'd like to learn how to have better sex and I didn't say fuck. I didn't say screw. I said, I, I would like to learn how to thrust into somebody. And I was quite serious. And I was very polite. And I said, I want to learn how to do that. Can you show me? And I will never forget the look on her face. She started laughing, which right away I knew was a sign of like, oh, no. And abort, abort. <laughs> so then I was like, oh, sorry, did I say something wrong? And she literally got up closed her booklet and walked away and I never saw her again. Oh my god. You told me that last time and I'm still in shock. I think that that's and that that's actually what we we hear that if like I'm really keen to get to all healthcare professionals because if one person shuts it down, it's much less likely that you're going to go and ask someone else. Like Yeah. Just making I, sure that like I shouldn't be feeling this way or gives you shame or or you know some of those oh, like, shame. Oh, and I mean, it, and like, not to not to say that Canada is like better than other countries. It's not, but like Canada's pretty liberal. So 
when you start to, if that's happening in somewhere as liberal and pretty open-minded as Canada, at, like you start to overlay that into some of the slightly less liberal countries and mindsets. And it just shows you like, it, you know, it's, it's. Andrew, quite- have you talked to anyone else since then? Like, did you, did you feel like you could go and ask that question again? Or was it like, how did you? You know, I haven't seen a proper OT since about that point because getting an OT, I mean, I have seen an OT for a wheelchair fitting and I have seen them for that. And we made a joke about how I want to give really great blowjobs in my wheelchair. So could the chair do this? And they giggled and laughed and then it was over. But like, we didn't have a serious conversation about like, no, I'm serious. I really want to give you great blowjobs in my wheelchair. Can we (laughs) talk about how that's done, please? So. I haven't done it properly. I'd love to try it again. I just, I finding OTs, the system here is you either get given one by the province, mm. which can take six months. And they're usually, in my experience, aside from that one I had when I lived on my own, they're usually a student that doesn't know a lot or yeah. they're a really older person who knows way too much. But I, at the time anyway, wouldn't have felt comfortable. Now I wouldn't care because of what I do but like at the time I would have been like oh you're in your mid-60s and heterosexual and I'm 22 and gay and I want you know I don't know if I can talk to you about how I want to give that guy a great blowjob in my wheelchair that feels like but but I think now I would definitely I would definitely try yeah yeah and I think it's unfortunately I do think that the it is, I keep on saying to people, if you get the bad experience from talking to a health professional, ask the next person. And even like you, are, it's going to change them and they may not have great reactions, but that's about them. That's not about you guys. It's just, yeah, it, like it, unfortunately that's, that's what we're up against. But I, I just think that what missed opportunities that OT has, because I get people to do things that they've never been encouraged, you know, like, the physios love working with me because, you know, someone who will never do their pelvic floor exercises will do okay. it after they have a session. Yeah, if they told me that if I did my physio and I, if I did my finger stuff, like, honestly, if, they, if, if that OT had said to me, Andrew, if you do your finger exercises, you can jerk this guy off better later in your life. Oh, my God, you get so <laughs> much more therapy. Like, therapy is about finding everyday things that motivate you to participate in therapy and having goals around... Um, like I'm working with one lady through a Zoom call. So we're working with an OT. So I'm sort of seeing this as a bit of a a new model, what I'm doing through Melbourne's in COVID lockdown yet again. Um, I was just saying I'm very grateful because I'm homeschooling. So this podcast is getting me out of homeschooling. So thank you much again. You're welcome very much. No problem. Um, (laughs) um, But I'm doing a lot of more podcasts where the the OT they're working with aren't comfortable, but I'm just saying, right, who's your OT, I'll work, I'll zoom in together and I'll, I'll train the OT as, as we do a group call. Um, and I've worked with a, this great OT who hasn't done much stuff around sexuality, but she's done a fabulous job. And this client um, isn't transferring and can't get their pants up and down. So we're looking at masturbation, but they actually, the OT on site figured out, actually they're in a nappy overnight. They can't get her pants up and down. They can't bridge. Um, and so she's now talked to the physio with permission of the client to say, right, we need to get her to bridge so that she can get her pants on and off in bed. And he's going, well, she, we probably need surgery or to lengthen the tendons, but she hasn't been keen on that. But because now we've got this masturbation goal, um, it actually makes sense, I think, for this client to go, oh, actually, I might go down that path and then I'll do the rehab because if it means I can get my pants on and off, 
Um, it means I, I can get off, period. I, yeah. So it's that real concept that as an OT, my therapy is so much better. Like I can get people. Can to- you be my OT? How do I, what can I pay you to make that happen? How do we do this? You and I can, no problems. We can zoom, zoom in. We can get an OT and I'll work with the OT in Canada and we can do group, you know, Yay. I can train your OT. I would love, you know what, I will look into getting a proper OT and then I will definitely reach out to you. Cause yeah, that would and be... I'm more than happy to do that because I think it is about how do we train. I see my work being much more effective if I work with the OTs because then they can work with the next person. You know, each OT might have, you know, 20 to 30 people and if you can train one, you can, you can train a lot more. Andrew, the things that when you talked about your experience as a child, I'm really on a bandwagon that we often, um, we miss, you know, there's these pediatric OTs that go to 13 and then often stop. And there's not really that adult or the, the puberty, you know, who's working with puberty, who's working with masturbation. And I'm really, I talk a lot about consent for touch and that people mm-hmm. who are born with different bodies are often subjected to OT and physio and doctors and their touch, their bodies are touched all the time. And if we don't do this sexuality training of those therapists, when I'm really keen to train those therapists about consent to touch that, you know, I'm about Mm -hmm. to put this splint on. Is that okay? Your mum's in the room. So that ability to understand body autonomy and that, um, you know, that you, as a, as a child, you have the right to say, no, I don't do that. Because what happens is that if we don't train that in kids that, you know, we know the stats show that, um, people with disabilities are more susceptible to sexual mm-hmm. abuse. Mm-hmm. It's also, we're not teaching correct body language um, and correct, um, you know, ability to say no, fuck off. Basically, I don't. The ability want- to say no, full stop. Like I, I can't remember how many times as a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old child, like even even now, where if I could just say no, I don't want that right now. Yeah. Please or please say that to me in a different way or present that to me in a different way doctor or ot like you just you learned as a disabled person i think when you're young unfortunately because of the way our society is built around the disabled body you learn that they are the professional therefore they have some implicit right to touch you and if you want to unfortunately quote unquote get better which we know is all who we know but if you want to get better you have to let this person touch you yeah. And I think that's where I actually, I think we need to be focusing our concept of empowerment of parents to them to understand what does it mean? What does sex ed mean for kids with a disability, but it actually means touch a lot of it. And what does yeah. that mean if you're not, and it, and like that is implicitly like I'm, I'm not a pediatric therapist, so I will know that I'll have other therapists, which will say, do you know how hard it is to keep that splint on that kid? You know, and we know how important it is, but, uh, particularly, uh, there's a fabulous um, uh, OT who works in Aubrey, Natalie, um, and she interviewed a lot of people with disabilities. And one of her stories, which is really, I think, mind-blowing, is that she interviewed a woman in her late 20s who had a disability for birth from cerebral palsy, and they um, removed... They wanted her to walk at the age of eight or nine, so they removed her basically her hip adductors, so the the, the bits that, oh. um, and they put them in her hip flexors so that she could walk. Um, so that was done with the consent of the parents, the physio, you know. Um, but the not doctor. her. 
but not really for her because she's eight years old. But now as a 27 year old, she's, you know, she's in a relationship and she can't spread her legs because of what was done as a child, as an eight year old, because she wasn't seen as a, a potential future sexual being. So I, I'm horrible. I get wow. on about, about talking about, we need to see everyone as a sexual human being and how mm-hmm. they choose to enact that is up to them. And that is from, a small child will have the potential to grow into a sexual being. So what happens as a child now is important as well as the 80 year old and the 90 year old that I constantly see um, that, you know, sexuality is really, really important for them or, you know, they're really worried that they're going to have another stroke. Um, you mm. know, if they cause the stroke because they're having it during sex or I worked with one, one lady who was in her seventies a couple of um, months ago who had had three orgasms in a row and then had a stroke, um, you know, the oh. stuff. And she was really worried about having, you know, her husband had, had given her oral sex. I'm like, go all power to you. Um, <laughs> but really scary that, you know, that, yeah, no. so it's this whole concept of, we need to see everyone as a sexual being. And with that, it gives, um, you know, we know that when you're engaged in sexuality and intimacy, quality of life is so important. Mm-hmm. We also know that quality of life, like as health professionals, I do quality of life index measures all the time. Um, I have a, a family member who had cancer in their seventies um, and they were given a one hour quality of life index measure by a nurse through the private health insurance. Um, not once was there questions about, you know, sex in there. And, you know, so I actually, I have a, a group of older people, which um, are all now going out asking their doctors about sex after this and that, just because they know that this is what I do. And they're like on my mission bandwagon. And it's very interesting. They all come back and report to me and say, Oh yeah, no, that person was uncomfortable, but the nurse pulled me aside and said this or, you know, so I think it's actually about individuals really having to be the groundswell of asking the question and going, well, if you don't know about it, that's okay. But like laughter is not appropriate. Laughter, it covers up their own, um, you know, inhibitions. It's just like going, you know, this is not about being inappropriate. I'm actually want to know about this stuff. And if you don't know about it, um, you know, who, let's who does, but yeah. who else does, if you can't help me with that, then come on. Yeah. Get me. In touch um, Sorry. I want to. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, we want to shift gears a bit because, yes. you, you know, we've launched the images of our prototype, which we are so yes. excited about, and we know you've been one of the OTs al- along yes. on our team on the journey, and you've been one of the ones from the beginning when we cracked on and started this. Can you tell us your thoughts on the project? Why you got involved? What the process was from ideation to prototype? And as an OT, kind of what the biggest takeaways for you were? I cannot tell you, Andrew, how excited our OT sexuality group here in Australia is about your your organisation and product. Oh, my gosh. It has created a ground cell of excitement. Um, I got involved probably with the um, RMIT designer, Judith, Dr. Judith Glover, um, and she wrote me in. She's very good at roping everyone in. I um, really didn't know you know, where you guys were up to to start with, but I'm really pleased to be involved. Um, and again, I think I look, listened to your podcast. And I went, yep, this is good. Um, and I, so I sort of been involved, for, like I wasn't involved in the first prototype stuff, but got involved more with the, um, doing the qualitative research. So um, interviewing 
uh, people who um, I had seen the designs um, who were, you know, people with different abilities and bodies. So I got more involved at that point. So I wasn't involved in the first initial design, um, but it's been great. So I've interviewed, I, I love when someone else does research and I just have to do the talking rather than the organizing. So I'm really enjoying that you guys are organizing it and I'm just jumping along for the ride. Um, so I've been involved in interviewing clients who, or interviewing consumers who um, might want to use this product. And that was really interesting. And then basically also a part of the, there's been a group of OTs as a forum. So I think the, the project was um, we had four designs or you guys had got four designs up um, and right. then we did um, client or you know, consumer interviews of what they thought of those designs. And then we also did OT forums. Um, so I probably, we used our network of, um, of OTs um, and certainly I'm like, I'm not a researcher. So we also got one of the OTs from, um, the Australian Catholic University to get involved from a, from a researcher point of view um, so that we could, you know, try and do it, you know, with some, someone who actually knows about research really, which is great. Um, and that was Claire Lynch. So she's been fabulous. And so then there was a group of OTs that met and oh, it's, it's just fun getting a group of OTs looking at your designs of the, the four different products. Like I think we ripped them to shreds some of them and other ones we went, yeah, that's really good. Or no, nah, that's so not going to work. Um, yeah, so that was the point, right? Like you guys were so, I think what always surprises me every time I talk to you, your group is how like ingenious you are and looking at things and immediately being able to see what might work, what might not work, but then also immediately coming up with these amazing workarounds or solutions, or what if you did this and like the energy around it has been always so um, encouraging and also incredibly insightful. Um, and like, I don't think that we would ha have nearly as strong of a product if we hadn't been working with like, such a collaborative group of people with lived experience, occupational therapists, designers, and business people, because we're all putting in different, um, points of view. And I think if, as soon as you drop one of those people off the list, it's, it starts to fall down and you start to forget different perspectives or points of view that actually make that product that much stronger. Oh, it's a super group. It's, it's, it is literally, I can really see, like I often will talk about there should be nothing about me without me. Like I'm really strong about that. And I think early on when I didn't really know you guys I, and someone, I think when we got asked to do the interview um, for um, the Australian radio station, I'm like going, and I got asked to, to, to speak from an OT point of view. I'm like, um, yeah, I can do that. But do we have someone with lived experience? Because I'm not doing, I'm not talking on behalf of people. Um, and that's where it going, oh, we've got it all covered. We're Andrew. Good, good. I'm like, good, that's great. Because I do find that, you know, um, we should, OTs, we should be in the background rather than in the foreground of this sort of stuff. But the, having a design team, so having industrial designers, um, having the business, you know, acumen and trying to all the marketing, having people with lived experience in OTs, it's been, a, it has been the dream team. Certainly as OTs, we are so super excited that there is something we might be able to prescribe um, to help people because it's, um, we've had some OTs which have really done reviews of the sex toy market. And, you know, here's some ones that are easier accessible, but I'm really hoping that the work that you do, it's sort of like, I know in one sense I sort of I talked to a friend the other day and said it's sort of like NASA that you know when you put something off into space um you know you'll have design things that come out of that that happens for the everyday population I guarantee you the designs that you guys have come up with 
will come into the everyday popul general population. Um, you know, the, the ease of cleaning, the ease of um, charging, like the fiddly little charges that are out there and the, the buttons that you can't see and, you know, fiddling around. Um, you know, but I'm really excited by having products and, you know, then the potential of longevity of new products on the market because everybody is different. Um, like that's just, that really excites us. And OTs are really good at coming up with the practical stuff, but we're, you know, we're probably, we are more individual focused rather than that global or, you know, bigger picture focused. So it's really yeah. nice working with a team which do, which has the ability to go the long haul. Cause I also know like you guys are working with very limited funds and you know, it's, it is about trying to do a massive job that hasn't happened before with, you know, and it, this takes a long time. Like I think you guys had been at it for quite a while. I remember I, I gave money to your crowdsourcing funding. I'm like, yes, let's go. Come on. Oh, thank you. And I got really excited that, you know, Oh, I got invited to be part of it. So um, yeah, it's a, it's an exciting process and I think it also helps particularly as OTs is that we can put it on the map a bit. So doing the handy work means that we can, you know, we've got the national OT conference next year. Um, you know, that certainly there's an abstract going in to, for us to, you know, hopefully as, as a team speak to that and Heather to come in and, you know, exciting to that. And that puts what we do on the market more too. So um, having the, you know, the, the groundswell really is, which I think is what you guys have done. It's like, it's actually going literally from this is what we need. Um, how do we make it? Um, but it just takes so much, you know, it's been a really interesting process working with industrial designers. I've actually um, now working with industrial designers just in my OT general practice and getting them to do right. Actually you can 3d print stuff. I need that, that um, phone to be in a different position and I can't get it commercially made. Can you do that for me? Um, so I've been employing industrial designers to actually come up with solutions um, for some of my clients outside of the sexuality side of things, but just how do I, you know, I need that. Um, so I can think of these concepts, but often I don't have the workshop to, to make it up. So um, yeah, that's been, yeah. So it's been eye opening for us and yeah, really just super, like I can't tell you there is, yeah, I think we were, we were on the phone hook up last night with Heather till about 10 o'clock last night um, with a group of, you know, sort of six OTs that were all like coming up with great ideas and like, oh, that's really interesting. So yeah, very yeah. thankful to both of you for keeping, keeping the distance because it's, it is a, it's a marathon rather than a sprint. I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What now? You've seen pictures of our designs. You've seen what you've seen our first go about that's coming out, and and, and you've seen the the latest one. What yep. do you what do you, what what makes you excited about that particular design that we want to uh, launch with? Ah, uh, I think that it's actually going to be great just for everyone. Really, I think you'll you'll do well with it because it's um. So the design is um. What's it, what name have we hit for it now? Is it the it's the, it's the Cuddle Plus is a working title, but um, that could change by the time it gets to market. Yeah, I, I'm really excited by it because it's a, the ability to be um, one for the independence for clients to be able to actually masturbate, you know, and, and looking at that. But I think it's also really integrating the concept of it's not just focusing on the genitals, like having something to cuddle and um, help position and all of that sort of stuff is actually what intimacy is about. It's about that... Yeah. Um, feeling good 
concept. Um, and so I think a lot of the OTs and people that we interviewed, it is about that having a, a toy that you can cuddle and a toy that you can maybe interchange either um, vibration or having an insert. So, you know, you can insert your penis in and out. Um, ha having that ability to um, design it and to mold it to people's bodies, I think is really, really fabulous. And look, I really love talking to the clients, but it, um, it was also really sad going, you know, people who used to be able to masturbate can't masturbate now. And like, that's just crap. Like, hey, me, hi, hey. <laughs> Like, but we just know as like, as a therapist, I know, and I teach physios this all the time, that if you can orgasm, you relax your muscles. So lots of people with um, spasticity or tone use orgasms as a way of controlling tone. So yeah, often, when I come, I feel so much better. Yeah. And my body, body just relaxes. And you can move better. And I often say to the physios, it may have nothing to do with how good your session was. It might've been just that they've had an orgasm the night before. So, you know, take away yeah. how good you are as a, as a therapist, but from a, from understanding the physiology, this is why I get really annoyed with um, our lack of training in this area. If we don't understand the physiology, we don't understand what the benefits can be and mm -hmm. having a, having the cattle um, plus or stick or whatever we end up calling it, um, will give people the opportunity of independence to actually access um, their genitals, um, which is a highly stimulated, you know, neuro, it's it's the fun bit in life. And <laughs> be able to have something that can mean that people can, um, you know, look at finding and following pleasure. Um, and we, Simone Sheridan, who's um, a sexual health nurse, often talks about it's um, it's finding and the following the pleasure. And that could be, you know, it can be with genital play, but it also might be that the vibration is able to, you know, um, work around the anus or, you know, work around the earlobe. Well, maybe I just want to, maybe I want to just want to fall asleep with a, with a vibrating person next to me. Yeah, and that's, I think you know, it's fabulous. And I, and I yeah. think that, that just is, um, I think it also, also provides a legitimacy. So that concept of going, there is a sex toy that is made for you. Um, which means, oh, actually, I can, I, I, I can explore that area of myself that I've never thought was open to. So the fact of even just having a company that talks about toys that are for people um, with different bodies just provides, a, again, a question of you can maybe that person can then go to their OT, have you had a look at this? Here's a, here's a company. I'm really interested in it. If you're not comfortable in talking to me about it, let me know. That's okay. I'll go. We, I'll see if I can find someone else. So yeah. even having some yeah. sort of script which can help that conversation is. I found this product online. I'm really interested in it. You may not be interested in talking about it. And I'm often, I will talk to OTs that that's also a good line that you can be. It's like, look, I'm not an expert in this area, but I can find someone who is. So you know, it's okay if everyone's not on the same comfort levels. Um, but it's not okay to shut down the conversation. And I think that having a product like Handy enables people to open up a conversation. And But, yeah, but it was also, it's interesting, um, all the people we talked about is we want to plug and play. Like, it, it, um, you know, we want something that we can buy off the shelf and not have to involve an OT in because right. obviously there's not OTs out there which are doing this stuff. Yeah. Um, so it is, you know, I think that's the challenge for Handy is is how do we create or how do you guys create a, a, um, 
products that we can actually get off the shelf and or maybe mark you know maybe change around from the storeroom but yeah it's um it's you know i'm really impressed with the amount of thought and design that has come in to do this whole prototyping um and i understand that that has to come with great personal cost for you know <laughs> you and a long time coming Every, i'm sure everyone out there is going can you just get the goddamn thing to market we're I'm, working on it <laughs> we're doing the best we're going as fast as we can we're trying uh, corona everyone out there in the land is that they are working hard this is you know it is a constant this is it is it feels it feels like it takes a while but it, it this, we're up against a global pandemic okay we're doing our very yes. best no well, i think that you're actually doing even probably better because of the global pandemic because you know i know i'm more available to yeah i wouldn't say that's been a massive um slowdown it's just it takes time to get a product to market particularly because um if we'd wanted to just do some sort of like adaptation of what currently exists we could have probably had something to market but it probably wouldn't work and it probably would be very effective and what's the point of trying to solve this problem if you're not actually solving the problem um so for us we'd rather make it wait like a little bit longer and, and launch a month or two after or however long it takes but be really confident that what we're launching into market is something that we feel is going to address the need for as many people as possible. We'll never be perfect and hit everybody in that first product. But then as we sell the first products, we start to open up um, revenue for the, for the next line or product in the line to be developed. And that's definitely it's a passion the project. Like this is what your, your definition of literally a passion project. Like it is, it's all the heart and soul. I, I can so see everyone putting their heart and soul into this and it will make a difference. I can guarantee you it will make a difference. And the work that the both of you have done already has made a difference. I'm seeing, you know, junior therapists coming in board and because they've listened to, you know, your podcast, Andrew. And okay. oh, wow. so what, you, what you're doing is making a difference and it's making a difference on the ground where I can see it happening. And it's, um, you know, and I think that's, you know, and that's what it should be. It should be coming from, you know, from a demand to say, yeah. no, this is not good enough. Let, we can do better. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, so Anita, do you feel that Handy, our products or the brand, we talked earlier about how how restrictive the OT conversations are around sex. Do you think that the Handy brand will change the game for what OTs yeah. can talk to their patients and specifically how they prescribe things to their patients? A hundred times over. Like I look at my education slides like i think really the only product that has been out there on the market has been the intimate rider um yeah. for people who've had um sort of more you know paraplegic um quadriplegic and and even that there needs to be some redesigns of i think um, i mean it's basically life. just a bench <laughs> i don't yeah and i have actually i've, I've actually i've prescribed um, one of those to a client and um they knew that i was involved in handy and so they're already sending me ideas like it could be done this way or that way. I'm like, right to Heather, right to Heather. Um, so I think, you know, th this is opening up a market, but as an OT, having the ability to say, look, he's, and look, we're really lucky in Australia. We've got the National Disability Insurance Stream. Um, you know, there, there's lots of debates here at the moment about how we, you know, help people use that with the NDIS. But, um, you know, most people actually would rather well, I talk to would like to be able to masturbate themselves rather than spend two or $300 on a sex worker. Like sex workers have um, place and certainly that's not funded by NDIS at the moment. 
um, or probably ever. Um, but it is having the ability to self-masturbate, like it just makes a massive difference um, for quality of life and um, experience. And But, yeah, so having this on the market and having even just your company thinking about what might change in the future, I can see designs coming from the ground. So um, as people that are out there in the world, um, I'm sure you're going to come up with lots of different designs and then, you know, send them in to Heather and Andrew. Um, Cause I've already heard them. I just, and it's great actually for me to be at and I go, well, here's a, here's a way of getting through, like go, go to handy, write your idea to handy. Um, yep. Cause I've been holding a lot of these ideas from clients and um, you know, and I don't, don't have the, the, the capacity to be able to put those in. Cause I know how long, how hard this process is. Um, yeah. And that, that hasn't been the case. But, yeah, so, look, as, as a group of OTs, we are super excited um, of what we're what, – what, it, it will be a game changer entirely. Yay. So it's a um, – yeah, you have got definitely a, uh, a large majority of – you know, and we would certainly as OTs in Australia would love to hook up with other – and welcome um, other OTs, you know, because I think that – um, we can all learn from each other, but m- most of all, Andrew, we, we learn from the likes of yourself. So we're, we're very grateful um, that you're able to tell your story um, and that we can, you know, I think that actually is, you know, is so much stronger um, in, in terms of being able to share those stories. So thank you. Thank you. And speaking of sharing stories, I wanted to flip the script a little bit because usually it's the disabled person asking the OT, how do I do this? I wanted to ask you, as an occupational therapist, do you have any questions for me about sex and disability that you maybe were scared to ask, have been afraid to ask? I mean, I feel like no, because it feels like you've... Oh, I always ask everyone, but I have many questions. You know that I have very many questions. Um, uh, One of the questions I think you've already answered is about what's your experience with OTs? Um, and or in terms of asking the questions, and I think we, we talked about that earlier on. Um, but I would really like I would really like to know, Andrew is, and I know I don't want to get too you know you have to be choose whether you're happy to share or not. But that concept of what works for you now. So what is the um, you know how do you find intimacy and and pleasure now? Like obviously we don't have the product to the market, um, but what you know what's been or two flip ways things one is have you had any positive experiences with therapists or doctors or conversations around sex since that when you were 20 not like, you, really no i mean talk to a gp or a doctor or my my gp is pretty good yeah. my gp is pretty good although i will say that when i as an adult a couple of years ago when i you know was explaining to her that for certain acts maybe i wasn't wearing protection she was like now andrew you should know that and i was like okay i'm 36 i know (laughs) you don't have to chide me i made the decision i'm telling you can you please like just treat can you talk to me about like what i need to do without treating me like a child um so i feel like every time i go see a doctor about maybe an sti test or whatever if there is something that they're concerned about i'm never treated like just a person with an sti i'm treated like i've done something horribly wrong an extra wrong because I'm disabled. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I can certainly see that happening. My, my other question I suppose to you, Andrew, is that, and this is what I get lots of referrals for is um, 
find me a boyfriend or find, you know, find me a partner. Um, and I think that that is actually, when I get referrals around sexuality, it's often ends up being that's the, the process. What's, what's your experience about dating and what works and what, you know, like, what can we do there? So we've got the sex toys things, but Heather and Andrew, this is what I'm, you know, we need some international um, conversations about dating and, um, you know, how that, how that works. I think we have to change attitudes first and foremost. And I think, I think no one can expect you as an OT or, or someone who works in the field to just get me a partner. That's like, that, that's that uh-huh. unfo- like, that's not a conversation anyone should be having because that puts then a lot of pressure on any prospective partner that they have to be this perfect model. When a lot of people have a lot of ableism around, yeah, a lot of feelings around their own ableism that they don't realize until things are happening. Like, ableism is the kind of thing that people don't know they're feeling until they're feeling it and then it happens and then then they don't know how to feel about it because it's wrong i think we have to have a much wider conversation internationally about ableism first and people's prejudices around disability full stop before we get into you know or in, in concert with hey disabled people are attractive you can also sleep with them but before you, or you, you know, before you do that, or before you engage with a disabled person about sex, you should probably work around your ableism first and talk about that first and have a space where somebody who may be feeling ableist things like, I can't sleep with a disabled person because I'll hurt them, or they can't have sex. Mm-hmm. I think all those feelings are very valid and very real. And I think, unfortunately, because disabled people are fighting for their rights, oftentimes they'll dismiss a non-disabled person's feeling around that and say, oh, you're just an ableist. How dare you? When really, and I've done this too, when really you should look at what they're saying and try to figure out what tools can I give them to change that conversation? What can I say to them to mm. make them not feel this? Or is it a lost cause? And do I just say, okay, thank you for feeling that. Move on. And what would you, so uh, that's so true. I also think about we need to be able to make movies and TV shows that just show people with disabilities, you know, having relationships and, you know, looking at all of that. So you, you guys, I expect you to get onto that as well. If you can do some uh, policy making. Yeah, we'll just get right on it. We'll just... Yeah, get right onto that one. What would you, what would you like an OT to say? Like if, if someone was going to come up to your 20-year-old self, Andrew, um, what would you have liked that OT to have said? Like what would have helped? I would have loved her to have said, oh, okay, I've never done this before, but let's try. Let's try this. Like, let's, maybe she could have taken to the sexuality part out of it for a minute to make herself less nervous. And I said, okay, the motion you want to do is bridging, basically. Yeah. Let's start there. Let's, let's, so that, so for everyone's comfort and to follow policy, not removing the sexuality, but making it less squidgy for her in the moment. Yeah. If it was like an OT that wasn't weird about it, I would have liked her to say, oh, great, sure, let's try this. Like, let's just move right into to a possibility. Like, oh, you want to learn how to thrust better? Great, let's try this movement. Let's try so what, this. What would you say to other people if they were thinking about this and thinking, I've got an OT, how do I ask the question? How would you think you would encourage people to ask the question of their OT or of their doctor or their... I think you ask the question very delicately and very politely and just say, hey, hey, listen, I want to learn how to do this new thing because I want to engage in sexuality. Make it 
I think because there's still a stricture of like professionalism within these fields, hmm. I think we, you can't go in there and start using colloquialisms like, hey, doc yep. or hey, OT, I want to fuck right now. You can, that's yep. probably not appropriate. But <laughs> I, mean, I mean, maybe it is. But I don't think so. You should probably just say like, hey, hey, occupational therapist person, I, I'd like to, you know, I want to be able to pleasure a partner and I want to learn how to thrust my yep. hips. Yeah. into a partner that's yeah. very clean and you very clearly illustrated what it is you want without being vulgar and without crossing a line that might yeah. fall yeah. in fall out of a policy thing yeah. so you haven't breached there'll be no uh, policy i guarantee you there'll be no policy <laughs> this is our problem there's no policies yeah but even in terms of like their comfort level policy so like if i so that they can't say, oh, no, Andrew said fuck to me and I felt weird and that, then they were inappropriate. Yeah. If I say I want to do it this way, I'd like to learn how to thrust my hips, please. I haven't said anything that crosses that, like, that a weird language policy they might have around like, oh, no, the person was inappropriate. Yeah. It's just so sad that they, yeah, that's certainly about them, for them walking away with things. Well, look, I, I, you know, I really appreciate that, you know, you've, you shine a light onto these, this work, Andrew, and it's actually, it's so needed as we can see. Um, but it's about trying to work out. We really do need to get, you know, the Canadian OTs. I'm sure there's, Canadian OTs are really good. So we need to, you know, there has to be a special interest group over there. I mean, there are interest groups, but the trouble is they're, they're all mired in academia. They're not, the trouble with, I think, just very quickly, the trouble with OTs, in general, they have all these great ideas and they go to OT school and it stays in their theses and it stays in this little bubble of academia where the idea is great, but it doesn't go much further than that and it doesn't go out into the real world. So your idea doesn't go anywhere. So what I love about what you're doing is you're like, okay, let me take all the things I've learned and move it into the real world. Hmm. And I think we need more OTs to save those great ideas, those kernels of an idea and turn them into something or you know, talk to us and we'll help you do that. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's a good partnership. I'm pretty excited. This is like really exciting stuff. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, but yeah, I would encourage yeah. if there's any Canadian OTs to reach out to the OT special interest group in Australia. We would love to hear you from you. And, um, you know, I think that it, this is changing. Like I've read lots of research which have come out of Canada around this area and America. So it's, you know, it's trying to work out how do we, how do we connect yeah. it up to the practicalities? Exactly. Creating a big network. I think making a script, having scripts that people can use um, yeah. and, and, and practice is often a good thing. But yeah, I'd certainly encourage people just ask the question. Hopefully, you know, there will be, even if that OT doesn't respond well to start with, maybe it will, it will light a fire to go, oh, I need to find out more about that. Exactly. Exactly. Or why did I react that way? Yeah. Yeah, Did you know where that OT that you talked to that first time, Andrew, you don't know where she ended up. She could have ended up on a whole tailspin because of that. And maybe she's doing amazing work in the space now. You just don't know, right? I think I would like to really say that I'm an OT that hasn't done extra masters in sexuality or, you know, like this is not something that you actually need. You need someone to hold your hand in knowing where to go and what to do, but it's not something you need a, another whole degree to do. Um, yeah. You know, I'm an OT, yeah. I'm not a sex therapist, and yeah. it's about the, you know, the, you know, all of our OT training can do this, but it's also not just OTs. Physios can do this. You know, I've had dietitians. Yeah. Do this. this is this is not. This can be any healthcare professional um, yeah. to explore this concept. It's just OTs are good at it because we, you know, it is about the 
you know, doing things that make quality of life better. So yeah. yeah. This was a fantastic interview and thank you so much for giving us all your insight in his own team. It's really nice as a disabled adult to sit with an OT and talk about this stuff in yeah. a fun, safe environment where we can just be frank about stuff and not feel like if I talk to you about my sex life, I've somehow done something wrong. So really, you're the first OT that I've actually talked to as a disabled person about this stuff. Wow. I felt safe to do it. So thank you very much for that oh, opportunity. I'm, I'm absolutely honored, Andrew. But look, I think you were, you were forging the road for us all. So, you know, I, I've referred many people to your podcast. I'm like, go listen here. <laughs> well, I think uh, maybe we leave people with, with something as well, um, because obviously this is the kind of thing we want to do more of and this connecting people with questions with people who might be able to help navigate those questions. So if you're um, somebody with a live, is living with a disability and you would like to be connected with an OT or you would like to have an opportunity to have sessions with an OT who can talk to you about sexuality, um, we'd love to be able to start building that out as a business case. Um, so if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, I would love to sit down and, and do something like this. Um, I just got all of my questions out there and start to navigate them. If you drop us a line at getintouch@thatshandy.co, um, we'll start to um, sort of take all of those questions and numbers into account and hopefully it's something that we can help sort of build a business case around to start that connection yeah. definitely and i need a brown major how do we get a, how can people reach out to you if they just love all the things you said and they want to be in touch um, with you look i'm, I'm at um, striverehab.com.au i've you know i've I, I, again, I always try and do myself out of work because I want to be able to in, um, engage the local OTs um, to get in contact with me to say, how do I do this? Um, where do I get the support from? All of that sort of stuff. But yeah, more than happy to, to receive emails or um, conversations through Handy as well. Um, you know, I can't guarantee I'll get back to everyone all quickly because um, we're in the middle of COVID Melbourne where I'm homeschooling blah um so this is much more fun but look we're i'm really passionate about training healthcare professionals we we will have a look at trying to do some stuff online i think that this is covid has taught us that we can do things online for training yeah um so i'm certainly looking into that um we're also looking in at thrive rehab into um creating an anatomically correct model of the clitoris so um that should be hopefully coming out and hopefully it might share that with handy as well because i think yeah. education yeah, um, I believe there isn't really proper um, anatomically correct models at the moment out there. Um, so, yeah, but where's, you know, I, I would encourage people, ask your OT or your doctor or whatever, and if they don't get a good response, say, right, contact these Australian OT, this group. We, we really welcome um, uh, members, new members of uh, OT special interest group, and I think everyone gives concepts, but it is also about um, empowering people that, you know, you've got this really people just knowing i think my my farewell thing is no you have a right to be a sexual human being you have a right to be able to do this you know to to feel your body and for your body to feel pleasure you have the right to be a deliciously disabled person if you really want to yes yes yes, yes. um this was great. We love sitting down with you. We could talk for another five hours, but I don't think the audience wants to listen to that. No. So, um, Anita Brown Major, thank you for coming on the Handicast. We loved having you, and we'll talk very soon. Thank Lovely. you. Thanks, guys. Bye.